Hello, and welcome to another episode of This is the Voice of the Prophet. The question in today's title may be one of the most important ones that you could ever ask yourself as a Christian and one who professes Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Obviously, this is not referring to anyone in the natural, but rather in the spirit. Let me explain through our first scripture. In 1 Kings 1, verses 1 through 4, it reads in the New International Version, When King David was very old, he could not keep warm even when they put covers on him. So his attendants said to him, Let us look for a young virgin to serve the king and take care of him. She can lie beside him so that our Lord the king may keep warm. Then they searched throughout Israel for a beautiful young woman and found Abishag, a Shunammite, and brought her to the king. The woman was very beautiful. She took care of the king and waited on him, but the king had no sexual relations with her. As we see in the scripture, David was old and dying. It would seem that possibly as his pressure lowered and the closer he came to death, the colder his body got. Of course, the men who attended him knew one way to raise a man's body temperature, and that would be with a woman. Not just any woman, but one that was desirable, pure, and untouched. That was the approach they took, and they found Abishag. Throughout this ministry of mine, for many, many years, I have talked about this particular woman because she represents so many in the body of Christ. I've never heard anyone else speak of her, which leads me to believe that she has often been overlooked. However, if you study this word, as we will today, you will see and realize what an important part she represents in the lives of every Christian. Abishag was a virgin, beautiful, untouched, and pure. During those times, she was probably kept either in a place especially for virgins or was accompanied by a reliable female guardian or eunuch wherever she went, including sleeping in her room. During those times, a maiden's virginity was very highly regarded. This young lady's purity was not just assumed, but had to be proven by physical examination. There was more than one reason for that, which I will explain later. We all know that marriage is a covenant agreement. In fact, covenant marriage is recognized as legal and binding right here in the state of Louisiana. When applying for a marriage license, a couple can choose either a conventional or a covenant document. In spite of the reality that it's no longer regarded in such a way, marriage is a covenant between two consenting adults. Even before the time of Christ, as we delve into the Old Testament, we see covenants being entered into. In fact, as most of us are aware of, the word testament is literally interpreted as covenant, Old Covenant and New Covenant. When we read the Old Testament and New Testament, we're actually reading the Old and New Covenant. Although we hear the word covenant in church and even see it from time to time mentioned in the Bible, as believers in Christ, it must be understood in the words of James L. Garlow, and I quote, the covenant is the foundation of our faith and the epicenter of what we understand about our relationship with God, end quote. 
It needs to be understood that although our relationship with the Father is a loving and intimate one, the true strength and foundation of that relationship is in the blood of the covenant that he has cut with us. As pertinent as the covenant was during those times, some might question why it was not discussed or taught more clearly in the Bible. The main reason is that during the times that the Bible was being written, cutting covenant was a common practice and understood by all. There were certain words or terms used then and that we now see in the Bible, which directly refers to covenant. Words such as joined to, together with, oath, treaty, testament, blessings, curses, and remember. Where we see these words used or written in the word of God, we need to understand that oftentimes they are in reference to covenant relationships. When entering into such a pledge, there had to be something more binding than a person's word. So the agreements were often ratified through blood. There were two types of covenants that could be entered into, one with equal parties or with a greater and lesser participant. When two kings or nations would enter into covenant agreements, there was a sacrifice, the killing of animals, the literal shedding of blood. God cut a covenant with Abram in Genesis 15, verses 8 through 10, when he made the promise to make him a father of many nations. It reads in the NIV, but Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer a goat and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. Here we see the sacrifice of animals, the shedding of blood, where once again God cuts a covenant with man. Later, there are other covenants cut with God, as well as those between men, but there had to be the evidence of blood. Let me explain how covenants were cut. When two kings, lords and vassals, or ordinary men entered into a covenant, they would slay an animal and cut it in half. Then the two agreeing parties would walk between the halves of the sacrificed animal. Again, to James, according to James L. Garlow, the two parties would walk through the blood of the animals, one walking to the left, returning to the right, the other walking to the right, returning to the left. Oftentimes, marriages were covenant between nations or families, with the bride having been proved to be a virgin. When this occurred, on the morning after the consummation of the marriage, the sheep from the marriage bed of the wedding night was given to the father of the bride. This was proof that there had been a shedding of blood, proof of his daughter's purity on the night of the marriage, which was evidence that his part of the covenant was complete. This is one of the reasons a young woman's virginity was so important. It was through the proof that blood had been shed on the night of the marriage that ratified the covenant between the two agreeing parties. It was also proof of the couple having entered into a covenant with one another. Covenants were binding and legal. The wearing of white with the veil covering the bride's face was saying to those in attendance to the wedding that there were witnesses that the bride was a virgin and she was entering into a covenant with the groom. 
The groom was saying in a sense that I accept this woman as pure and untouched by any other man. I pledge to take care of this woman as my wife and be faithful to her for the rest of her life. The blood that was shed for the covenant had to be proven to be pure in the sense of being spotless and unblemished in any way. If it was an animal, the animal had to be of a certain type, peppers, bulls, rams, or lambs with no blemish. For those who were poor or had less, doves or pigeons were accepted. When presenting a sacrifice to God at the temple, the animal had to be the best of its flock or breed. As for the woman who was presented as a virgin, as stated earlier, it had to be physically proven by examination. As Abram cut the animals for the sacrifice that he was presenting to God, birds flew down to eat the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. When the birds of prey came, God didn't send winds or angels to shoo them away. It was up to Abram who took that authority. When we present ourselves to the Father, there are things that the enemy will send in an attempt to mar, deter, and blemish our covenant with, with the Father through us. However, it's up to each of us individually to make sure that whatever tries to spoil or besmirch our offering to the Father, that we take authority over it. When we're in prayer, offering the sacrifice of praise and worship, the enemy will attempt to send condemnation of past sin to our hearts and mind. He will try to distract us with thoughts that would take us from the presence of God to things of the flesh. But again, it's up to the individual to bring their thoughts back under subjection and back into the thoughts and presence of God. When offering the sacrifice of praise, worship, and love and prayer to the Father, it should be with pure hearts, knowing that we are forgiven and that there's forgiveness to us from others. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 23 through 24, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. As stated earlier, in covenant agreements, one type of covenant was between a greater and a lesser, meaning a greater king of a larger nation and a lesser king of a smaller. Or it could have been between a lord and a vassal, again, a greater and a lesser. The greater, larger, or stronger person of the covenant would be the one to make stipulations. He might say to the smaller or weaker king, give me timber, wine, and honey, and I will give you iron and wheat. And if anyone attacks you, I will send my army to fight for you so that your enemy will not overtake you. Your enemy will be my enemy, and I will fight for you. Even though the weaker or lesser king might want more, or possibly not even like the conditions, he would always agree with the stronger king simply because of the fact that the king making the stipulations was just that, stronger and more powerful. Because of the misunderstandings of covenant, or even with the lack of knowledge concerning this matter, many have taught covenant from the sense of money and giving without the full concept of all that God intended. It's so unfortunate that in the body of Christ, covenant has been taught as to be in agreements about or definitely involving the giving of finances. Most churches, 
ministers, preachers, and teachers who speak on this topic focus on the giving of the tithe, offerings, and financial gifts as opposed to the purpose of Jesus Christ shedding his blood as the sacrificial lamb of God. However, when covenants are cut, the complete understanding of this process needs to be taught and explained more explicitly on behalf of those who are entering into these agreements. Covenant is not just a friendship or even just a pact between pastors and members, but literally saying that one is the greater and the other is the lesser. It's saying that the greater will continually provide a certain sustenance to the weaker with while providing for them in their time of need. Covenant states that the pastor or greater will literally fight for them when they are under attack from the enemy. That doesn't just mean saying a Lord blessing prayer at the altar. It's saying that the enemy of the weaker party is now the enemy of the stronger one. When Jonathan gave David his armor and weapons, he was saying that when people saw David, they were looking at Jonathan himself. They were to respect and honor him as the king's son. This is only one of the conditions of the covenant that we have with God through the blood of his son. When Jesus told his disciples in Luke 22, and again, it's repeated by the disciples in 1 Corinthians 11, that when they ate of his body and drank of his blood to do it in remembrance of him, Jesus was saying that when you do this, remember what this is all about. Whereas it is about the forgiveness of sins, there is so much more to it. It was also about the sacrifice, the blood that was shed that provided for us to return to covenant living with the Father. As stated earlier, one of the words used when referring to covenant is the word remember. Jesus was giving implicit instructions that the disciples were to remember the covenant that his blood had been shed for. Far, far too many focus on the blood of the lamb covering our sin and being used as a weapon against the enemy. Where this is true and right, there are even more purposes that we fail to understand and honor. One of them is given in Luke ten sixteen when Jesus said to the 72, Whoever listens to you, listens to me. Whoever rejects you, rejects me. But whoever rejects me, rejects him who sent me. That's a covenant, and it's the one we have with the Father. Then in verse 19, he says, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. It's not just a verse we learn and use against the enemy. It's part of the covenant we have with God. We have been given power and authority through the blood of the Lamb of God. Not having this understanding allows for attacks from the enemy and causes many to fight in spiritual warfares that are totally unnecessary. It doesn't mean that the enemy won't try to raise his head, but when we understand true covenant, it's an entirely different type of battle that's fought. Jesus continues to intercede on our behalf, and he has defeated our enemy and given us the victory. So why is it that everyone doesn't understand this concept? I wondered the same thing for years since I first began to hear him speak to me and teach me concerning his covenant. 
when I would teach it, pour out of my spirit all that I knew concerning it and realize that either no one was listening or that the people just weren't interested, I continued to wonder why and even thought that perhaps it was my poor teaching methods. But then, just recently, God spoke to me through this chapter and confirmed it in this book by James L. Garlow. Listen to how the Amplified Version of verse 14 from the 25th Division of Psalms read. The secret of the sweet, satisfying companionship of the Lord have they who fear, revere, and worship him. And he will show them his covenant and reveal to them its deep, inner meaning. Without the secret of sweet, satisfying companionship of the Lord, one will never understand the fullness of covenant. It's only with the fear and worship of him will God begin to show and reveal to us the deep inner meaning of his covenant. I pray that you will join me again next week as I share more with you concerning Abishag and the Virgin Bride. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of This is the Voice of the Prophet. I ask that each of you would share this podcast with others and always remember that it's available for listening on every podcast server and app. I continue to ask you for your support through your prayers. You can contact me through my email at amiteagle at charter.net. That's A-M-I-T-E-E-A-G-L-E at charter.net. And through the Facebook post or Facebook messenger. Thank you again for your prayers and support. And may God bless each and every one of you.